0: Beloved, I have had the privilege of spending the last seven or so years uh, at the feet of the Holy Spirit as he has been teaching through the book of Ezekiel. It's my great privilege to read and reread and reread the words of this dear prophet. Uh, Daniel Block calls this pro- this um, book of Ezekiel and the prophet, the prophet of the Holy Spirit, as the Spirit is dominant throughout this book, I would call him the Spirit or the the prophet of the resurrection. Um, Many Christians, I think, are familiar with Ezekiel 37, the prophecy over the Valley of Dry Bones, where the Spirit is raising up this army of Israel, uh, and, and Ezekiel witnesses the resurrection. But I think we're less familiar with the first raising up of um, the prophet himself in this book. If we look at the chapters 1 to 4, it's the calling of Ezekiel. And Ezekiel himself is raised up by the power of God before he could prophesy to the bones, to the Valley of Dry Bones. And so I want to look with you this morning to this resurrection that Ezekiel experienced, this raising up, uh, then on his preparation, and then as he goes out and proclaims and prophesies um, to the dry bones. And I want to make connections to this, to the ministry that many of you are called into, the ministry of, of the proclamation of Christ's word and the power of God in there. Uh, so I want to begin with the beginning of the book. Uh, we read in Ezekiel 1 that Ezekiel is a priest into exile. Uh, he is, as most interpret that first verse, 30 years old. He's about the place where he was supposed to go into the exile, or into the priesthood. And yet he finds himself at the Kabar Canal in Babylon. And then suddenly Ezekiel tells us, The heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. I saw sightings of God in the midst of the place where you would not expect uh, the God of Israel to appear. Suddenly in this strange and foreign land, the heavens opened up and he saw visions of God. Beloved, when you read the book of Ezekiel, you need to see what you're reading. Uh, This is depicted so that you can see it. This is not a dry historical lesson. It is God revealing himself to a man. And then we he sees this terrifying vision and Ezekiel responds and he says, And when I saw it, I fell upon my face. I heard of a voice of one that spake. Ezekiel is brought to see and to be aware of who he is, of his smallness and his minuteness before this great and glorious God. And he falls upon his face. He finds himself at the place Where God sees at the one who trembles at his word. as the one who is broken um, with his smallness in comparison to this great and glorious God. And then he hears the voice of God in verse 1 and 2. And it says, and he said unto me, son of man, stand upon thy feet and I will speak unto thee. Stand on your feet and I will speak to you. Now what do you expect? When God commands from heaven, stand up, we expect him to strengthen his muscles, to place his feet underneath his body, and to get himself up from the ground. But that is not what happens. Because when you read at the next verse, this is what it says And the Spirit, or in, in the original, it would say, And he, the Spirit, entered into me. And when he spake unto me and set me upon my feet, I heard him that spake unto me. Beloved, Ezekiel here, is experiencing what he would later prophesy. He himself is on the ground, um, distraught at this glorious vision of God, and yet when he hears the voice of God speaking, at the same time that word is combined with the power of the Holy Spirit that brings him up, that raises him up from the ground. When Ezekiel hears God speak, he sees that the word is united with the power of the spirit of god ezekiel heard and then experienced the power of that word we see the same in the new testament think of 1st thessalonians 4 chapter 1 verse 4 and 5 it's written know therefore beloved your election of god for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. As you know, what manner of man we were among you for your sake. The vital point is this. The word comes not alone, but with power. When the word is spoken, uh, proclaimed, when God speaks, And later when he speaks through Ezekiel and he causes him to proclaim, that word comes with the power of the Holy Spirit and raises up Ezekiel and ultimately the dead. Ezekiel himself needs to be raised up before he can raise up others through the word of God. The same is true for us today. We must first be resurrected by the Spirit of God We must first be brought to life before we can proclaim the resurrection to others. We must be born again. We must be brought into the presence of God and by God's word be raised to a new life before ever we can proclaim it to others. We must experience that love and that power of God before we can declare it. And as the Bible says, be witnesses of it. And must I... Can I say we must first experience the life-giving power of God's word before ever we can proclaim it to others. 1 Peter 1.23 says, Listen carefully to the connection of the new birth. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. The word of God, the gospel which is preached, brings forth this new life. You see that same connection. The proclamation of God's message is then united with the life-giving spirit and raises one up from the ground. And so, beloved seminarians, have you been raised by the spirit of God to newness of life? Have you been brought out of the dead Into the kingdom of God. Have you entered and seen the goodness of the gospel? Or shall we quote Peter? Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? A seminary is a wonderful thing. And I think a vital tool in in doing the work that you will do and are doing. But without this new life, there's no use. It will only train a hypocrite in the end. It will declare someone and say, this is a powerful gospel, but if it hasn't raised you out from the dead, how can you witness? How can you declare the power of the gospel without first being raised to dead? In the end, it will not give you any reward or benefit or blessing. It would only condemn your own soul. Have we been like Ezekiel in a matter of speaking? Have Have we been brought low? When we saw who we are in light of the glory of God. And as the gospel then raised us up to newness of life. The most important part of a pastor or minister of Jesus Christ. Is to be born again. Without the new birth. You have lost the first step. You're not even alive in the kingdom of God. Uh, You can't even see what you yourself proclaim. You can speak of the love of God and of the mighty salvation of God, but you've never tasted how good it is. You must first be born again before you can proclaim this wonderful message. I'm afraid that in our day to day, there's many people who proclaim the Bible's Jesus Christ without having first met him without having been brought to a newness of life. And so this is the first part. And I thought before I go on to the second, if we miss this, finishing your seminary degree is not the most important part in your life. To come to know Christ is the most important part in your life. To really know him. uh, To, as the Puritans say, to enjoy the sweetness that is in Christ. Uh, to delight in that, you must first have open eyes and a mouth that can taste and a heart that can ponder the glories of the gospel. And if you're saying here this morning and you wouldn't dare to stand up before your peers, but you, you wonder in your own heart, have I ever been brought to life? Oh, my dear friends, to come to know the Lord is not hard when you read God's word because the spirit of God is in his word. You can't save yourself. You can't raise yourself from the dead. But the Bible has said that the word of God is the seed that uh, through which the seed works and brings us to life. Well, then Ezekiel goes on. Did you notice that after Ezekiel is raised and placed upon his, his feet, he receives the call to the ministry. And he is being prepared to give charge from God and to be fearless before men. He is to eat the scroll, and then it it describes the scroll with lamentation, mourning, and woe. I mean, that's not a delightful scroll to eat. That's the message he will proclaim to the Israelites at his time, lamentation, mourning, and woe. But then listen to Ezekiel 3, 1-3. Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, Eat that thou thou findest, or eat that which you find. Eat this scroll and go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat that roll. He said unto me, son of man, cause thy belly to eat and fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. Then did I eat it and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. What is that all about? It's a graphic picture, right, of the prophet opening his mouth and God forcing him to eat this scroll. Uh, if you think about the literal picture, it's a, a little bit of a terrifying idea where the scroll is pressed down into the mouth of the prophet. Uh, the idea is that it's not an easy word to read. I mean, it's, it's not something that the this message is not going to be a joy for his flesh. And yet when he eats it, it says, honey, for sweetness now we can speak about that but I want to focus on this belly part or this bowels part what does it speak about I mean it's normally when somebody eats you don't have to tell them eat it so that it goes into your bowels and that it goes into your belly what's the purpose of those words why would you have to emphasize if something goes through your mouth there's really not much you can do Uh, it ends up obviously in your stomach So what's going on here? Why this emphasis on his bowels and his belly? Well, the point is, it's a visionary picture. The bowels are that part of us in the Hebrew understanding where your feelings, where your inner joys and sorrows sit. Think about the story of Joseph. You remember when his brothers, after a long time, had come to him and he gets filled up with emotion. Right, He's stirred up and he can't contain himself and he has to escape. Then it says in verse 30 of Genesis 43, And Joseph made haste. In other words, he ran. For his bowels did yearn upon his brother. His bowels did yearn upon his brother. It's not that, as we would say, that it makes him sick. It, he is stirred up within. He, he can't contain himself because it's overwhelming. His stomach, so to speak, begins to feel and push him that he cannot contain his tears. And so he has to make haste. He has to get out of there before they see how he really feels from the inside of his being. That's the point of Baalos. And the same here is in Ezekiel. Ezekiel is to let the word of God fill his bowels. It's got to go deep inside him to the beginning and stirrings of his soul. This is not some shallow message that he just passes on. It has to become Ezekiel's message. It has to enter into his soul. And out of that, he must proclaim it. Brothers and sisters, we, and especially if you're called to the ministry, And for all of us. But if you're called to proclaim to others. The word of God must enter into your bowels. It must be consumed and meditated and pondered. It must rule the emotions of our heart. The joys of the gospel. uh, The fear of God must stir up our soul. The word of God must be so pondered. And so eaten. That it stirs up our very core of our being. We must taste the sweetness of Jesus Christ daily for his love is sweeter than honey. It, it is better than the joys of this life. We must be able to say after we've eaten God's word, others rejoice in the riches of this world, but we rejoice in the light of your face, O Lord. Um, we must be drunk with the love of God before we, before we go and proclaim God's word. It must fill and rule our hearts. We must be in the word. We must spend a week in the counsel of God's word. And then go out and proclaim it. Uh, We don't live in this world and then go into heaven, so to speak, to get our message. We live in the heavenly places and we come to the earth to declare the truths of God. It must stir up our soul. I think so many times there's the temptation in the ministry to only declare the messages that you think others will respond to in a certain way. And so there's a tendency not to preach on sin, not to preach on judgment, and not to preach on repentance or the new birth, but just to preach on the grace of God and how how he watches over the brokenhearted. But when you begin to eat all of God's word, you cannot but speak the whole counsel of God. Um, I was pastoring, before I was properly tra- trained at the seminary. And what I found after a year or two is that I couldn't declare the whole counsel of God. I knew the gospel and I could preach the gospel, but I didn't know the whole counsel of God. I went to seminary to study the whole counsel of God, to drink and to eat from God's fountain of life. And so for us, for you, if you're preparing, Make sure you don't just study certain things or preach certain things, but eat the whole counsel of God. Be stirred up in every way. Listen to Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, live in you, have its habitation in you richly pressing out almost the walls so filling up in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with grace in your hearts to the lord you see that this is not make sure that you get your five-minute devotion in in the morning or make sure you have a message that has three points introduction conclusion and illustration it speaks about filling your soul, filling your bowels, filling your heart in the New Testament language with Christ and his word. Beloved, we must be men of the word as preachers so that our churches will be filled with men and women and children of the word. Now, if we experienced the power of the life-giving word by God pressing it, have you ever experienced that? When you read God's word and you're just going through your a normal reading and suddenly it's like the page is becoming too, beginning to glow and it's stirring up in your soul. I think that's a picture of God pressing his word upon our hearts. We cannot escape. Right? We have to understand that and it grips us to the page. It's the Lord pressing his word in our soul. Beloved, when you read God's word, you have communion with the living God. When you pray, God is actually present in your reading, in your prayer, in your preparation for the ministry. It's not God has sent you on a faraway country and then he is distant and then after a couple of years, he will see what you've done. No, He is constantly with us, filling us with his word. Well, if you've done so, then we come to Ezekiel 37. Then we come to the proclamation. You see, Ezekiel 37 is not Ezekiel 1. Ezekiel 37 follows Ezekiel 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and 24 chapters of judgment. And then he gets to proclaim. Well, you know this passage, I think, quite well. It's a field of lostness and hopelessness with bones everywhere. It's a battlefield It has been lost and dried up for a long time. Now, if you want to, if you have trouble with the book of Ezekiel, a simple division is the first 24 chapters is Ezekiel's first call to the ministry with the first four chapters as his actual call. And then you have the judgment and wrath. There's at this point hardly any hope. There's here and there. Uh, But then in chapter 24, Ezekiel's wife dies and God dies to Jerusalem in a sense. In other words, the bride dies to him. Not that God literally dies, of course, but the bride um, dies and is taken off. And then it seems as though Israel is dead because you get all these prophecies about the nations and it's almost like it's a history lessons of the surrounding nations and Israel appears to be gone. But then in chapters 32 and 33 and 34, you see the resurrection. There's a new call to the ministry of Ezekiel. He's called as a watchman again a second time, and then it goes up and up and up until it ends up in that glorious vision of this temple city in chapters 40 to 48. Well, 37 is situated right in the beginning stages of that future hope of Israel. God still looks at his people and will raise them. And so in verses seven to 10, we read, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and behold a shaking and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them and the skin covered them above. But there was no breath in them. Now think about this. The bones are brought together. It now looks like a battlefield, but it's still dead. There's no life in them at this point. He has already prophesied. He has prophesied God's word and it's done in a way a mighty work. It's brought the bones together, sinews and flesh. They look like human beings again. And yet there is no life. What's to do next? Can Ezekiel bring these bones to life? Can he breathe on them like the Almighty can breathe and bring them back to life? Does Ezekiel have the power of a creator? Of course not. And so Ezekiel is to prophesy to the wind, which if you are familiar with the book of Ezekiel, the wind, the Ruach, and the spirit of God, the Ruach Elohim, right? It's the same word, and there's a word play on there. He's to prophesy to the wind, but he's really prophesying to the spirit of God that will bring this to life. And he said unto me, prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say unto the wind, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they lived and stood upon their feet as an exceeding great army. Praise the Lord. Now I want you to see the two times Ezekiel prophesies because there is a distinct difference in the two prophecies. The first one is the prophecy to the earth. Did you see that? He speaks to the bones. Now, of course, we know that God is bringing these bones together, but he proclaims to the bones. But then the second prophecy is to the wind. If you're familiar with your Old Testament Bibles, there's a distinct difference between the earth and the wind or where the heavens are. And so I think what Ezekiel is doing here, you have that distinction where he proclaims on the one hand to the bones, as he proclaims as a prophet to the house of Israel, but then he proclaims and prays really to God. And he asks God and he proclaims by God's authority to ask God to fill these bones, these bodies with life. And so you have that distinct prophecy, one to the earth, one to the heavens. As God's man, the son of man, declares, as Ezekiel so often found. Now, would it be out of line to draw a connection to the ministry of the New Testament? Where we live in a world of very dry bones. And we proclaim God's word by God's authority on God's order. And we proclaim the gospel. To those who are on earth. And as we proclaim the gospel. God forms the minds and the thoughts of these people. He's bringing them together. And makes them see the gospel of God. But we also speak to God. We pray. And we plead with God. That his Holy Spirit would give life to those who we preach to. If you have are familiar with the life of. In the sermons of Jonathan Edwards, his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, was just as brilliant in one place as it was in the other. But at one place, it was just a sermon like any other Sunday. But then in another place, it brought a great revival. How is that? Did he mispronounce a few syllables? Was there some sin in his life before? No. It was God's Holy Spirit drawing people to life as the message was proclaimed. And so if you go out into the world, remember that we speak to two. We speak to the people, the gospel of God. We speak to them about Jesus Christ, about their sin and the need and their lostness and their utter dependence on God. But then we also speak to God. That he would bring life in the souls of dead men, wherever you're from. My country, the Netherlands, many dead people walking. Your country, whether it's America or Asia or Africa, filled with dead, dry bones. You need to preach the gospel. Fill them with the word of God, but also speak to God and say, Father, for the sake of your son and his glory, Fill this place with your life. Raise people out of the dead because only you can do it. And so be careful that you don't go one or the other. That You don't say, well, preaching, I'm powerless. There's no purpose in it. What can I do? I can't raise them to life. But we'll just pray and hope the Spirit will do something. Or be the other way and say, I can raise them to life. Because I am a great preacher. I know how everything fits together. I got a lot of passions. I got a lot of charisma. The thing that you can do without the spirit of God. Ezekiel learned first in his call to the ministry, then in his feeding upon the word, and then in the order that he must speak both to God and to men so that men would be saved and God would be glorified. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you would raise up men like Ezekiel from here, filled with the Spirit, sometimes terrified by the Spirit, sometimes filled with the good news of the gospel, but always revealing the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for these brothers and sisters that their hearts would be filled with the word of God and that the living word would become and continue to be the joy and sweetness of their life. For Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.